Today's scripture reading will be from Proverbs 28, 12 through 28. Also, please stand as we read. Proverbs 28, 12 through 28. When righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsake them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. As a roaring lion and a ranging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. The prince that wanteth understanding is also a great oppressor, but he that hateth con- covetousness shall prolong his days. A man that doeth violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay, say him, Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved, but he that is Perverse in his ways shall fall at once. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. To have respect of persons is not good, but for a piece of bread that man will transgress. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. He that rebuketh a man afterward shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Whoso robbeth his father or his mother, and saith, It is no transgression, the same as the companion of a destroyer. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. He that trusteth his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have Many a curse. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. Book of Proverbs, chapter 28. Proverbs, chapter 28. And most of the scriptures that we'll deal with this morning are in this passage, but we'll look around as well in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to preach about something that We all need. (laughs) No one can say this message doesn't relate to them because it's about money. Uh, You need money. So I want to talk about something you like a little bit anyway. Not supposed to love it, but we uh, we need it so we can like it, right? It's been said that the poorest man known on earth is the man who has nothing but money. Money has great power in this life. It gives us power to go, to do, to buy. But we must break some aspects of its power because money is not to rule our lives. So Proverbs chapter 28, I just would like to read a couple of these verses that were already read in our hearing, but this Lengthy passage was read to get to these verses right here from verses 19 through 24. And I'd like to read verse 20 and 22, where it says in Proverbs 28, verse 20, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Verse 22, can you read it with me? It says, He that hasteth to be rich, hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. 
So when I talk about breaking the power of money, I'm talking about this matter of hasting to be rich. And we'll speak on that today. Let's pray. So now, Lord, use this time that we might have a biblical perspective about money, a balanced view in our own lives, so that we might walk in humility and not pride, that we might walk with meekness and kindness to others, and not look at other people as stepping stones to our success or to make more money through them. Help us to look upon others even with love, Father, for You have so loved us that we might love each other. So, use this time in our life that money would not rule us, control us, and that if there's any here who need to break power's money in their lives, that You would do that by the power of Your Gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, these are amazing times we're living in. These are times of great financial uncertainty. You see the headlines. Economists talk about economic hurricanes, recession, inflation. We're all feeling the effect of the inflation. No doubt the stock market prices have fallen. They say up to $6 trillion in value of Americans' retirement has been lost in the downturn of the markets. More and more people are struggling to pay their rent and to make their mortgage payments and to pay pay for their car payments. They're saying that perhaps soon with the recession, not to paint a not trying to paint a, a foggy picture, a, a bad picture, but it's reality. They're saying that people w- w- may start losing their jobs as well. So if you have a job, thank God for it. But these are tough times. These are struggling times. And so because of that, these are times where the love of money could take deeper root in people's hearts. So we have to be mindful of that. I read this, this was a headline this week. Worse than 2008, a big short investor said. And we'll, we'll see probably more foreclosures, as I just mentioned, around the country. And we need to pray for one another and encourage one another as well. The love of money during this time could become even greater in people's lives because of the inflation. We need more just to maybe buy what we used to have. The love of money for many is a popular destination. The the love of money is is a crowded road for people hungering to get rich. But we have to be careful because this is a road that could well lead to hell for many people. It even says in the book of Proverbs that the treasures, treasures of wickedness profit nothing. Which means the money we get, if we use wicked means to do it, it will not profit you. It will hurt you in the end. During these hard times, we cannot grow anxious about money. The love of money can cause marriage conflicts, just to let you know if you're married. Be aware of this. And trust the Lord with your finances. And let's not have a financial conflict in our homes that would bring struggle and strife in marriages. Money can forge a heavy chain in many people's lives. And this love, the love of money, which is the root of all evil, Not the lack of money is the root of all evil. The love, as we said last week, is the root of all evil. That love of money is a chain that must be broken because money does have power in this world. Think of this verse. 
Can you read it with me? Proverbs 22, 7. What does it say? The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So if you're in debt, guess what? You're in some form of servitude. And this shows that society is structured. It was then and it still is today. Society is structured and layered with power linked to money. Economic power is a part of reality. And so those who have the money and loan the money are in power over those who borrow the money. And that's the way it works. So money does have power. We have to be careful about the power of money and the power of money and its love must be broken in our lives. Now, there's three hows in your money. Three hows. How important is money to you? We looked at that really last week. How important is money to you? We, we talked about seven different things that are actually better than money. Wisdom is better than money. The fear of the Lord is better than money. And I said last week that some people say, money might not be in first place, but it's way ahead of what's ever in second place. And that's wrong too. Because money isn't in first place, second place, third place, not even seventh place. Because we went through seven things that are more important than money. Today we're really going to focus on this second question. How do you get your money? How did you get your money? And just kind of relate some of it to that. A third how, which we're really not going to deal with, but I just throw it out to you, is how do you intend to use your money? Now, how do we use our money? Does the Bible tell us how to use our money? Sure, we use our money to provide for our families. We use our money to, to invest and save. And that's not wrong, to invest and save. We use our money to give to those who have need. Even this chapter talks about, in verse 27, He that giveth to the poor. So the Bible gives us wisdom on these three questions. The Bible talks about the important subjects of life, and money is an important subject. Because many look at money as a very source of their identity. They look at how much money they have, and they get their sense of worth, personal identity and worth, their sense of security and significance. Money does not give you security and significance in this life, really. Not that last, because think of the people who had stuff last week. Much of it is gone and blown away. Money has power, though, that people could source their sense of security in it. Money has power to distract us from God. Money has power to corrupt our integrity. How many people have lost their integrity, lost their reputation because of money, just to get a little bit more of it? Money can become an all-consuming goal. And many people put the very will of God and the glory of God above money. So we need to break this power in our lives. So I want us to see what things we must break away from in order to break the power of money. Things we need to break away from in order to break the power of money. And it's right here pretty much from this text Maybe we'll go out outside of it just a little bit. But the first thing we see in this passage of Scripture, what do we need to break away from to break money's power? Number one, we need to break from the vanity of this world. And that's verse number 19. It says, He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. So what would you rather have? 
plenty of bread or plenty of poverty. This verse gives you the choice. He that tilleth his land, in other words, he who is diligent in his work, you'll have plenty of bread. That's how we should get our money, through diligent work. But on the other hand, some people think they're going to get their money or get richer by following after vanity. It says after vain. And notice the word persons is in italics in our King James Bible. So the vain could relate to people, but I put it in parentheses here, vanity in, in our associations or associating with vain people, but also involved in vain activities or vain pursuits. So, excuse me, we must break away from vain associations, vain people that will tear us down, vain activities that will waste our time. There's a similar proverb in chapter 12. We'll go back to chapter 12. And the reason I read this is to say that there are some proverbs, sometimes they repeat themselves or one is very similar to another. So here's an example of that in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11 is very similar to this one in chapter 28, verse 19. Chapter 12, verse 11, what does it say? Can you read it with me? It says, He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread. He that is with vain persons is void of understanding. So the one who tills his land, it says, will be satisfied. And the verse we're looking at as well in 28, it says he'll have plenty of it. And this one says, again, that if you follow vain persons, you'll be void of understanding. In other words, you won't have the satisfaction of understanding what's really important in life. The point of this verse, break away from vain people, as I have it on the screen. Avoid bad company. Because if you get with vain people, you know what you end up doing? Wasting a lot of money. (laughs) Because vain people will sweep you up into their lifestyle. And that could include going to clubs all night. And drinking a lot of cocktails. And you spend money on alcohol, for example, in bars and nightclubs. That's a tremendous amount of money. And then you start engaging in the drugs and engaging in the immorality that often is a part of those places. And it says here that if you follow vain persons, you will have poverty enough because you're going to be swept up into a lifestyle that's going to drain you of money. I was amazed when I got saved how rich I was in comparison to how, how poor I was in my unsaved life. Before I was saved, I never had enough money because I always wanted more money to buy beer, marijuana, rock and roll records. Back then, we bought albums and records, you know. And I always wanted to buy another album. And I always wanted to buy another bag of, bag of, of, of weed or buy another pack of cigarettes or whatever. Hey, you got, you got $5, you know. And I never had enough money. After I was saved, I wasn't buying any of that. I was so wealthy, I felt, in comparison. And then I found out, give a tithe? That seemed like nothing in comparison to what I was given the devil. I gave the devil everything. The Lord said, a tithe? Ten percent? I made a hundred dollars back in those days, a week. 
my summer job as a college student. And I gave $10 in the church, and I kept $90, and I saved it. And then I met Debbie, and I, and I saved that $90, and I bought a, an engagement ring. I got married. She thought I was rich. <laughs> we need to break away from vain associations that sweep away our money. The second thing is we need to break away from unfaithfulness. Now look at this verse. It says, he that, in verse 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. So what is a faithful man compared to in this verse? What is a faithful man compared to in that verse? A faithful man is compared to somebody who what? Is worrying and in a hurry to be rich. So the point is, when a passion for money rules a person's life, they cannot be what? Faithful to God. If you want to be faithful to God, you cannot be ruled... By a passion for riches. But what this verse is also showing us, a faithful man if will abound with what? Blessings. And what does that blessing include? Part of that blessing is material comforts, if you will, because we do all have material needs. So a faithful man will have his needs met and will abound in the Lord. Spiritually, and I believe some aspects materially. But the point is, if you want to really use riches right, if you want to use riches in a way that will be truly satisfying to you and build you up as a man or woman of God, you have to have faith. You must be faithful. You see, faith and wisdom come before riches in this verse. A faithful man abounds with blessings. And that's why we were saying last week, what's better than money? The fear of the Lord and wisdom and love and righteousness and those things that we saw are better, a good name, are better than money. And that's being faithful when we seek the Lord first. Who is a faithful man? A faithful man is full of what? <laughs> He's full of faith. Keep it simple, right? He's full of faith. A person full of faith will be faithful. He's rooted in the Lord. He's focused on Jesus Christ. He's steady and sturdy. A faithful man is dependable and reliable. You know who's faithful in the Bible? God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape. And also Deuteronomy chapter 32 says that God is a rock. He's a God of truth and without iniquity. And Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, where it says He's a God of truth. That's the Old Testament word. Same word here for faithful. God is faithful. That means you can trust Him. You can rely upon Him. So it says a faithful man, a trustworthy man. Can people trust, trust you? Can they rely on you? You know what? When you love money, they can't. Because you're going to be looking out for who? Yourself, first of all. You might say, oh, I'll be there. I'll do that. 
But, oh, something came up. Oh, I can make more money doing this over here. So I won't, I don't, I'm not going to be faithful to my prior commitment. You see, when love of money rules of people's lives, they can't be faithful. They cannot be faithful. Think about that. And it is required of us as Christians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Because God is faithful. We want to be like Jesus Christ, who was faithful. He said He was going to go to the cross and die. And did He? Yes, He did, because He's faithful. He said He was going to rise again from the dead. Did He? Yes, He did. He's alive because He is faithful. He said He was going to do it. He did it. We need to break away from unfaithfulness. We need to break away from vanity. And we need to break away from covetousness. Covetousness. Now, this verse that we just read, and I'm going to focus now on the word, the idea of maketh haste in verse 20 and 22, to be rich. And these two, the, the, these two verses and that phrase, make haste to be rich, to me, emphasizes this matter of covetousness. Is covetousness a big deal? Is it a sin? A lot of people say, well, I'm not that bad a sinner because I never murdered anybody. As if murder is like a sin worse than anything else. But covet, thou shalt not covet is where? It's in the Ten Commandments also. It's a big deal. Because if you covet, you'll end up, you might end up killing somebody. You'll end up lying to them in order to get, what they, to get something over on them. Covetousness is a big sin. This whole matter of scratch-off games, doesn't it, doesn't it like irritate you if you go to buy gas and you're behind somebody buying 100 tickets? That happened to me one time. I'm like, can you please, is there somewhere else you could go to buy gas and I don't have to stand behind this guy? Spend, and then he's putting all this money out, like $100 to buy scratch tickets. I'm like, don't do that. I'll take the money instead. I'll put it to better use, you know? So sad. People hasting to they want to they want to get rich quick. Now, verse twenty, where it says, "He that maketh haste to be rich," and verse twenty-two, "He that hasteth to be rich." And you don't have to know this, but you know, when I got into it, I realized there were two different Hebrew words there. Like it's the same English word, but actually a, a different a different nuance in the Hebrew. And Hebrew is really a very nuanced language, as is the Greek language. So what I found out when I just studied it a little bit, it seemed that the word in verse 20 emphasizes this matter of, of feeling a pressure. Feeling a pressure to become rich. They're in a hurry to be rich. i got to be rich. i got to be rich right now. I want to buy this. I want to get that. I want to do that. I want to go there. So I need money. I've got I to gotta be rich right now. And maybe you have a rich relative. Maybe you have a rich brother or a rich sister or rich friends. And you're like, well, I've got to keep up with that. And that's human nature. That we can get swept up into that. But he says, don't be in a hurry to get rich. That has to be broken. Because that haste is covetousness. And the second verse in 22 he that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye 
and he considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. You, you notice how it actually the opposite of what you want comes is the result. They're hasting to be rich, but what do they end up? Poor. Because when you haste to be rich, you make bad decisions, like gambling. You make bad decisions in the stock market, like day trading. Now, I'm not saying that's a sin, but it sure is close to gambling. <laughs> day trading. I would say be very, very careful with it. This word emphasizes the worry, the anxiety. Some people are literally troubled and filled with anxiety that they're not as rich as someone else. And when you're in a worry to be rich, you're in a dangerous place. Because look what it says in Proverbs chapter 15. Look at Proverbs chapter 15. Go to verse 27, please. Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 27. What does it say there? It says, He that is, can you read it with me? Proverbs 15, 27. He that is what? Greedy of gain. What does he do? He troubleth his house. When you're hasting to be rich, you're in a hurry, you're in a worry, you'll lose the money and then you won't be able to have the money you need to provide for your family and you'll bring trouble to your house. It says bring trouble to his house, but he that hateth gifts, and the idea there is bribes, shall live. So, thinking about covetousness, there's a lot of examples of covetousness in the Bible. Think of, think of an example of covetous. Who do you think of? Cover. Who is covetous in the Bible? I hear a lot of mumbling. That's okay. That's all right. At least you're thinking. I got you thinking. So you're, you're saying something. I can't hear what you're saying, but it's okay. Okay. David coveted not money. Yeah. <laughs> he, he coveted... You're talking about Bathsheba? Okay. So, these are three examples that I thought of, and you know these examples. This one man, he coveted silver, gold, and Abercrombie and Fitch. It had to be Abercrombie and Fitch garment. He, he, he coveted the silver, the gold, and the garment. It didn't end out well for him, buried under a pile of stones. On the far side, there was a man, he coveted silver and a garment, and guess what he got out of it? He got leprosy. And then the man in the middle, we all know him. He coveted silver. And he said to the people he was doing business with, and that's what you call following vain persons. That guy in the middle followed vain people. Hey, he said to them, what will you give me? Give it to me. What will you give me? Me, 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 me. So who were they? You know, who's this first guy? Achan. Who's the guy in the middle? Judas. The guy in the end is... Something like that. Gehazi. Gehazi. And here are the verses. Gehazi said... Remember, it was, this was after Elisha had just healed Naaman. And Naaman said, here, here's some silver and I brought, here's some change of garments. And Elijah said, I don't want your gift. He hated that gift. 
That's the verse we just read. He that hateth gifts shall live. He didn't want to feel indebted to him any, in any way. He didn't want to say, you're going to say that I just did this to get money out of you. I didn't heal you to get money out of you. I healed you to give glory to God. So Elijah, Elisha did not accept the gift. But then Gehazi thought, man, I could get something out of this. Now the Gehazi was Elisha's servant. So Gehazi said, I will run back to Naaman and I will take for myself. And, and so, so he, he said, hey, Elijah sent me back. He's actually thought there's a couple people that, are, that came to him uh, as young prophets and they need clothes. He told that story and he totally made it up. And then when he went back to Elisha, Elisha said, Hey, Gehazi, where, where you been? Oh, I just, anywhere, you know, what? nowhere in particular, just, just around. Elisha said, I know exactly where you've been. And he got leprosy. And you know the story of Achan. It says in this verse, you should look up that verse, Joshua 7.21, Achan said, I saw, I coveted, I took it, and I hid it. And he paid for it. Covetousness. The next thing we need to break away from, not only must we break away from covetousness and unfaithfulness and vanity, but we must break away... I, I, I don't know if this is the best way to say it, but I've just put it two-facedness. As it says in Proverbs 28.21, to have respect of persons is not good. For for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. What he's saying here is, when we look at people, don't look at people to use them for your own benefit. We as Christians don't use people and love things. We are to love people and use things. <laughs> but this person who has respect of persons is a two-faced, hypocritical person. And this is an interesting picture. These two guys shaking hands. They've got a mask on. And what's behind them? They're really looking to, for them, out for themselves. They don't trust each other. And that's the kind of world we're living in. Not saying we have to trust each other. We have to trust God. But this two-faced hypocritical person, he will respect the powerful. He'll respect his boss. He'll work when the boss is watching. But if just the coworker is around, he'll go easy. You won't work, and he'll disrespect the other coworkers around him because they can't fire him. So that's a two-faced person. To have respect of persons is not good. To respect your pastor, and I appreciate when people respect the office of pastor, we should. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because of the office itself. But you should respect fellow church members as much as you respect who? The pastor. Do you agree with that? You should love each other as sheep in the church, as much as you... Oh, you love your pastor so much, I know. Okay. Your pastor loves you. 
And I need to, I can't be two-faced. I can't say, oh, wow, so-and-so I know gives a lot of money in the offering. I'll be really nice to them. So-and-so I know they don't have anything to give. I could just ignore them. See, that's, that would be wicked of a pastor to so look at a sheep. Do you agree with that? It would be. So it would be wicked of you to look at each other that way too. Ha-ha, got you on that one. <laughs> Welcome each other. Love each other. And sometimes the sheep can fight each other and get along well with the shepherd. But we need to love one another in our church. Now as Christians, we don't wear a mask. When it comes to this matter of not having respect of persons, and it's famous and you've heard it said, justice is what? Blind. Justice must be blind in order to treat everyone equally so that there's justice for all. Now, justice is often not blind. Justice is often muddy and imperfect. And just the way we, re- we treat each other, it's not perfect. But we must strive for this. We don't wear a mask to pretend to be something we're not and to show favoritism toward people that seem small in our eyes. And show favoritism toward people who are big in our eyes and then neglect those people who are small in our eyes. We must wear a mask and love everybody equally. Wear a blindfold, I mean. Wear a blindfold and treat everyone with love and respect. Because this verse goes on to say, to have respect of persons is not good. For, for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. That's that's interesting. That means that when you show favoritism based on what somebody can give you, what you can get out of them, you you will take a big risk for a small payment. And and you will put your reputation on the line in that sense. You will take a big risk for just a small payment, a piece of bread. And, and that piece of bread also is a small payment in light of the evil of treating people in a two-faced way. So we need to break away from two-facedness. Again, as Christians, we're not to love things and use people. We must love people and use things for the glory of God. And we use money for the glory of God, but we don't love money. We love people. We must break away from vanity. We must break away from unfaithfulness. We must break away from covetousness. We must break away from two-facedness. And we must break away from envy. So these verses, at least one of them, mentions this matter of envy. If you go back to chapter 28, Proverbs chapter 28, in verse number 22, It says, he that hasteth to be rich hath what kind of an eye? An evil, an evil eye. And considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. So this evil eye is this matter of envy. An evil eye. He that hasteth to to be rich is envious. Now what is envy? We hear that word. It's similar to jealousy. It's very similar. There's nuance of difference. But the idea of envy is... 
wanting someone else's life. I wish I had what they had. When you envy, you're not content with what God has given you. And you want what someone else has. And as Kermit the Frog says, it's not easy being green with envy. It's a little attempt at humor. Pretty bad humor, but I at least try every now and then. Envy is wanting someone else's life. We've got to break away from that. And envy is not just wanting someone else's life, but it's being unhappy at other people's happiness. So when you're envious, you, you actually don't want them to have what they have. You want to have it instead. You might even think, why do they have that? I deserve it more than them. But you're not believing in that moment in the sovereignty of God. That God rules in the goodness of God. You're green with envy. You have a, this is an evil eye. Jesus spoke about this. Having an evil eye. Now, can you admire another person and respect another person more successful than you? We should be able to do that. If you want to get married, and there's some people here, single, you would like to be married. I certainly understand that. But don't be unhappy if someone else gets married. You might struggle with that, but just ask God to give you joy for those people who celebrate their anniversary or for those who are just newly married, if you will. Don't let envy get a hold of your heart. Or if somebody has a nice bag and it has a name on it that you were like, I could never afford that bag. Why can they afford it? And I can't. Don't envy them. If God wants you to have that bag, pray about it. And work toward it. Maybe it's His will for you to have it. Guess what though? Maybe it's not. And you'll just have to have the the cheap bag I bought you. (laughs) Because if I buy you a bag, believe me, it's not going to be an expensive one. Envy is having an evil eye. Envy drives a lot of the wickedness related to money and the gaining of wealth. Now, envy is also, there's a lot of examples in the Bible of envy. Think, who is envious in the Bible? You know who is envious? The religious rulers were envious at Jesus Christ and that that led them to want Him crucified and dead. Because they envied His power. They envied His authority of word. And the way the common people followed Him. They were so envious of Him. They hated Him. And that's what envy will cause in your life. You don't want to be envious. Why? Because God has made you the way He has made you. And you are... In God's sight, created in His image to bring Him glory. And you have been given gifts and talents and to use them for the glory of God. You don't need to envy anyone. You need to be the best you and not worry about what God is doing in someone else's life. But there are a lot of examples of envy in the Bible. Here are just a few. 
that I have. The first one, he was hated. And because of envy, he was abused. Do you know, envy will cause you to hate and abuse other people. And of who do I speak here? That is Joseph, of course. Oh, they were so envious at Joseph. And they abused him so. The second one, the War of the Wells, it says. Who was envious here? And they were envious at who? Do anybody know? Isaac. And it was who envious at Isaac? Because he had all these wells. It was the, the Philistines. Genesis chapter 26. And they were so envious at him, they stole his wells. Envy led to theft. And what's the last one? Who's that? Who's that? That's King Saul. And he was, you know why he was envious at David? Because after David killed Goliath, that's when the envy really started. Remember, what did, they, what did all the people do? There was a, a, he became a folk hero and they wrote, what did they write about David? They wrote a what? A song. He became the, the subject of a song. Can you imagine? They're singing about you or about somebody and not you. And Saul's like, they're singing about David and they didn't make a song about me, Saul. And Saul eyed David from that time forth to the point where he literally lost his mind. Saul became a madman. He hunted David like David was a dog. So watch out for envy. We need to break away from envy. What else do we need to break away from? And quickly, we need to break away from lying. And I already mentioned Gehazi, but go, go to Second Kings. I want to just turn there. And just focus on Gehazi for another two minutes. Second Kings chapter 5. Look at verse 22 and 25. We need to break away from lying. And the verse in our, in our text says it well. And actually I'm breaking away from chapter 28 here. And I'm going to chapter 21 verse 6 where it says that the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. You see, you think you have to have that treasure? But what might be the result if you get it? Death. Treasures of wickedness profit what? Nothing. The treasures of wickedness profit nothing. In 2 Kings chapter 5, look at verse 22. This is when Gehazi goes back to Naaman, who Elisha healed. And Gehazi said, all is well. My master hath sent me, saying, behold, even now there, there, be come, there come two men from Mount Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. You know, everything he said there, he even made up a story that wasn't true. <laughs> everything he said there was a flat out, fat, big lie. Isn't that something? And Naaman said, a talent of silver? Look at verse 23. Naaman said, oh, take two talents of silver. Gehazi's like, oh, you don't really have, oh, come oh, that's so much. Okay, yeah, that sounds good to me. You know? 
And he urged him, because it says he urged him, oh, please take this. Oh, no, I can't take that. That's such a big... No, please, you must take it. And Gehazi was just playing him like a fiddle to get the more money out of him. And look at verse 25. When Gehazi went in and stood before his master, Elisha said to him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Oh, I, thy servant went nowhere. I know I've referenced this before, but I like to read it. I just love You've got to love the narratives of the Bible. Where'd you go? Oh, oh, nowhere. I didn't go anywhere. Huh? It's like somebody says, how you doing? And you're really doing bad. You say, oh, I'm okay. You know. Where'd you go? Nowhere. And he said, I was with you in my heart. I knew where you were. He was a prophet. You can't fool the prophet. And you can't fool God. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity. Tossed to and fro. So get, be aware. People lie, don't they? Don't people lie to get rich? We need to break away from lying. We need to break away from envy. We need to break away from what? From two-facedness. We need to break away from covetousness, from unfaithfulness, and from vanity. And lastly, here, we need to break away from robbery. Go back to chapter 28, please, of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number 28. Chapter 28, verse 24. Chapter 28, verse 24, Proverbs. Whoso robbeth his father or his mother. And he says what? I didn't do anything wrong. Who, me? That's nothing bad. That's nothing bad. Whoso robbeth his father or mother and saith, What? It is no transgression. The same as a robber. The same as a companion of a destroyer. Oh, I didn't rob my parents. They were greedy. I should, they should have given this to me. They never gave it to me. They should have given it to me. I didn't rob my parents. Oh, it's going to be mine anyway. They're going to be dead soon. So it'll, it'll be mine. No, you rob your parents. Stop justifying it. Come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit if you rob your parents. Now, what's the point? Is if you rob your parents, who won't you rob? <laughs> if you rob your own mother and father, you'll rob anybody to get rich. Now, some people do think their parents have been stingy with them and they deserve it. There's forgiveness as well. But this is an aggravated form of stealing. Maybe they stole from their parents because they were losing their cognitive ability. And they could put one over. Sometimes you can put something over on elderly people, right? And he says, Whoso robbeth his father or his mother and saith, It is no transgression. You've you've just like destroyed them. You're a companion. You're a friend. You're a, a co-worker with a destroyer. You're a destructive person. He says, we need to be honest. We need to break away from robbery. I did hear a good story this week, and this really, really encouraged my heart. And we know about the Museum of the Bible. And I read about the Museum of the Bible that, that they had a manuscript that had been stolen. They didn't steal it. They didn't know it had been stolen, but they, they discovered that this particular manuscript, a thousand-year-old gospel manuscript, had belonged to a Greek monastery, and it was 
stolen and looted in World War I. And it made its ways around or whatever. And finally, it was given to the Museum of the Bible. And I'm sure it's an expensive manuscript. But when they found out that it had been stolen, <coughs> and God bless Steve Green, the founder of the Museum of the Bible. He's the president of the craft store chain Hobby Lobby, which has also come under fire for their Christian values and, and things. And we should support such a, such a business as Hobby Lobby, I believe. I'm not a big uh, hobby person, but if I did, I'd go to Hobby Lobby. No Hobby Lobby's around, but anyway. Free commercial, there it was. Anyway, Steve Green himself went with his manuscript to the Greek monastery and gave it back to them. That's what I call character. Integrity, right? Isn't that good? That was a good story. That they repatriated this ancient manuscript to this monastery that had it stolen years ago. Okay, so these are the things we need to break away from. Now, lastly, we need to break away from all these things. And now what? (laughs) There's something better. There's something so much better. And we need Jesus Christ. We need His salvation. If you're not sure you're saved, you must be born again. Break away from all those things and come to Jesus. Be born again. Believe on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Call upon Him and make sure that you're on your way to heaven. Because Jesus Christ is the one. And we're going to remember His death and burial and resurrection as we take the Lord's Supper in a few moments in His coming kingdom. We, need, we must break away and worship God. Worship God. So I want to go, just as we close, go to, I want to go to just two Psalms. I just want to read a few verses in them, not make a lot of comments. Go to Psalm 73 first. Psalm 73. I want to actually go to this Psalm first, because this Psalm is about envy. And the psalmist is envious at the wicked. And he says, I was envious when I saw their prosperity. And I noticed that the rich people who hate God, they don't have the same problem. They don't have the problems I have. If they hate God, and they're, they're, they're using their money however they want and not worshiping and loving God, how come I got the problems? They don't have the problems. And he even, he even wondered, is it worth it to seek God? Is, is there value in serving God? In verse number 13, notice what he even says. Psalm 73. And I recommend the reading of the psalm later on your own. But he says in Psalm 73, 13, he said, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. In other words, my seeking of God to have forgiveness of sins, what, what good is it? The ungodly are better off than me. So he's like, what good is it all? So he was really confused. Until he did what? Because he says, this was really painful for me to grapple with. But look at verse 17 to read this verse. And I love this verse. Right in the middle of the psalm. Psalm 73, verse 17. Notice when his perspective changed. His perspective changed. And he writes what? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their end. When I went into the sanctuary, I got the right perspective. I got the recalibration of my mindset and my spirit and my heart. 
going into the sanctuary, hearing the Word of God, being with God's people, and realizing there's an eternal God in heaven who has made me, then I understood. And notice what he says down in the psalm, where he says in verse 23, look at verse 23, he says, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. I might not have as much money as they have, but I have you, God, always. Thou hast holden me up by my right hand. I have your protection. You shall guide me with your counsel. You'll give me guidance in this life. And afterward, you'll receive me to glory. I'm going to go to heaven when all this is done. And then he says in verse 25, and I love it. Look, read verse 25 with me. He says, Whom am I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire. Beside thee, my flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But those that are far from you, verse 27, will perish. I'd rather know God. I'd rather have salvation in Him. I'd rather have His loving guidance. I'd rather have His right hand upholding me. And ultimately, we ought to say as the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is nothing upon earth, no one upon earth that I desire beside Thee. So we break away from all these things to break away to worship God. And we say there's nothing else that I want to have in my life ultimately other than Him and what is for His glory. And now go to Psalm 63. And this is also interesting because here it seems the psalmist couldn't get to the sanctuary. But here's, here's my point in bringing this out to you as well. We worship God together. You sit with a spirit of quietness and meekness, humility, love, receive the Word of God and worship so that when you go home, that you could worship God in some kind of similar way that we do it here. Now, we do it as a group here. But as you go home, read your Word. Pray to God. Sing a song. You don't have to have announcements when you worship God at home. But, but in a sense, reenact at home how you worshiped in the sanctuary. And it's our responsibility to give you something that you'll want to like duplicate to some extent. It's a great responsibility we have. But that's, the, that's how I read this. Let me read it. Psalm 63 he says, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. In other words, I want to worship You, God, on my own. I want to worship You in the sanctuary, but I want to worship You early every day of my life. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth after Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy power and Thy glory as so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. I want to see You at home. I want to feel Your love. I want to hear Your convicting words. I want to hear You speak to me, O God, the same way I hear You speak to me and convict me and show me Your love in the sanctuary. As I have seen You in the sanctuary, so I thirst for You each morning. Because Your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise Thee. And I will bless Thee when I lift up my hands in Thy name. So I say, dear friends, let's break money's power by breaking away by the power of the Gospel. 
by the power of the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might worship God in spirit and in truth. Let's stand together as we pray. Mm, Help us, Lord. In just a moment, we're going to sing a beautiful song of just as I am, I come. And our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And who would say, Pastor, I'm a Christian, but money has too much power over my life. And this power needs to be broken. Maybe you need to break from the vanity of this world. Maybe your love of money has caused unfaithfulness in your life. Maybe it has brought about covetousness and two-facedness and envy and lying. Maybe you are lying. Maybe you are stealing from those around you. You know, if you have a job and you're lazy on your job and not working, you're stealing and lying at the same time. If you're being paid to work, work. If not, you're stealing from your boss and you're lying saying you're working. God, help us to be honest. God, help us not to envy. God, take away covetousness out of our hearts because it's idolatry. Take away the respect of persons, Lord. We want to be faithful to You, Lord. We want to abound with the blessings that You give. We want to till our land and work to have plenty of bread. Thank You, God, for our precious church people. I know many of them so faithful and hard and diligent in their labor of love and work for their family and giving to the church. God bless them. But maybe there's somebody that that money has a little bit too much power, maybe too much power over you. I'm going to say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. This message has convicted me. God has spoken to my heart about a particular matter. Can I see your hand? Just lift it up to the Lord. And then pray over that matter. Say, God, have mercy on me. May I not be ruled and controlled by money. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I need to break away from the things of this life and know Jesus Christ as my Savior from sin, the One who will take me to heaven by His grace. Dear friends, salvation is not by works. It's not through a church. It's not through eating the bread and drinking the cup. It's whosoever shall believe in their heart that God hath raised them from the dead, you shall be saved. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. How many say, Pastor Matt, I need to be saved today and sure I'm on my way to heaven through the grace of Jesus Christ. Is there anyone like that? Can you put your hand up that I could pray for you? Please, Lord, work and draw anyone not saved to Yourself. So, Father God, we praise You and we thank You. We come to You, Lord. We come very imperfect. We come with all of our frailties and yea, we come with our sins and we confess them to You, Lord. And we thank You for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's sing together today.